Good morning, everyone. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It's great to be here, isn't it? And my name's Carl. I am Steve's brother. Brother, look a little bit different. Not as ginger, not as hairy. <laughs> uh, it's great to be able to share God's word with you this morning and together. And as you know, we finished our series in looking at lamenting last week. And we're going to be starting a new summer series next week. Uh, so, sorry, we finished last week and we're starting next week uh, in a new series. But I won't tell you what that is, but come, it's really, really good. You're going to love it. Um, so this, this morning we're looking just a one-off and we're going to be looking in the letter to the Colossian church. So if you've got a Bible, you want to open it to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be looking this morning. But before we uh, read that together, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Paul the Apostle uh, writes this letter to the Christians in Colossae, and Colossae is modern-day Turkey, all right? And it was written about AD 60, 61, and Paul is actually under house arrest, living in Rome. Paul never went to Colossae. So he's writing to Christians he's never met, um, uh, he's ne- but he's heard about stuff that's going on there, and he wants to encourage them. And even though he'd never been there, he'd heard that they were struggling, they were struggling because there was some dangerous teaching going about, about uh, wrong teachings about Christianity, wrong teachings about Jesus. So Paul writes with a few things in mind. First of all, he's writing to them excited. He's excited that there's a church started in Colossae, but he was never there. So the gospel is spreading. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, so he's getting excited and he's writing to these Christians and he's made up that people are putting their trust in Jesus and the church is growing. But he's also writing to them because he doesn't want them to be led away from the truth of who Christ is. And he wants them to grow in Christian maturity. And so there's loads of things that he covers and in the first couple of chapters, he shows us some amazing truths about who Jesus is and also about who we are if we are Christians. So some of those things, first of all, he he talks about Jesus Christ being over all. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all humanity. He is Lord over all cosmic powers. There is no one above him. He is Lord. What a truth that is. Yeah. He goes on and says, look, uh, God has acted through Christ to secure a redemption for me and you and to bring reconciliation if we put our trust in him. Basically, he's saying Jesus has saved us from our sin through paying the price of death upon a cross and so bringing us into a relationship with himself again. Another amazing truth. He says that believers now, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are now in Christ and you get to benefit all the things that come with that. So you share in Christ's death, you, uh, you share in his resurrection, you share in new life and in the fullness of life because you belong to Christ. And then he goes on and says, do you know Christ has defeated all powers of darkness, sin, death, hell, Satan. He's done it. Wow. That sounds like like a cool couple of chapters, doesn't it? Yeah, I encourage you to go home and read them. All right. And there's loads more in there as well. There was just a few things. These are just some of the teachings that Paul has in the first two chapters. And but this morning we're coming to chapter three and he changes a little bit in the way that he's 
writing. And he's moving from sort of the biblical theology of what you, what you might call to how you live it out. And he gets more practical with his teaching. So it's a, bib- a practical response to the biz- biblical truth. And that's what we're going to be looking at here together this morning. And we're going to see that how those of us who belong to Jesus, and we are now in him, what that looks like individually, how that shapes us individually, but also corporately how that shapes us as a community of believers. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, uh, and we're going to read that together now. And listen, as, if you've got your Bible, if there's someone next to you that haven't got it, I mean, socially distanced, you can share it with them, that'd be cool. But uh, let's remember that as we open this and we read this, we sometimes can just flip it open and be like, oh, just reading it like it's another book. But remember that we're reading, this is God's word, God's speaking to us, this is encouraging, this will shape us and change us. So pray that as we read, that to, read these words together, that the Lord will shape our hearts. And we will hear his voice as we read it now. So Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you, sh- you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immoral- immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in a perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. That the word of Christ dwell richly, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart, your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words that we've just read. Lord, there's a lot in there, and we're going to try and think about some of them this morning. But Lord, you need, we need you. We need you by your Spirit to come and work in us. I pray that you would open our eyes, soften our hearts to accept the truths of these passage, this passage. And Lord, I ask that you would shape us into the likeness of your Son. And may that affect us individually, and may that affect us as a community of your people. And may others look on and see that who we belong to. 
And Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I ask that, they would, that you would meet them in their need. Father, that they would see who the Lord Jesus is, see that he is their hope. And Lord, I pray that you would bring salvation. So bless us now as we think about this for the next few minutes. We pray these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if your family is like mine. In fact, I'm, for the last few months, I've been, we've been living with Sarah's mum and dad, my in-laws, and they love to play the game of look-alike. Do you all play that? When you're watching TV, that person looks like that person. Doesn't that person look like that guy? Apparently, I look like, according to my in-laws, Jeremy Piven. Do you know who he is? Do you know Mr. Selfridge? Who's watched Mr. Selfridge? Apparently, I look like him. He's a good-looking guy, so I'll go with that. Right? Now, I don't know if you play that uh, with your family at home, but here's another one for you. Who do people say your character is like? Hmm. Well, Sarah says, I'm becoming like Phil. My dad, right? Some of you know Phil. He's in the, the other room, so I can talk to him about him as I want. But he's in the other room there. My dad, Phil, right? Something that he does, I don't know. He likes to trap people in a corner and tell them loads of jokes. Yeah, we've all been trapped, most of us, right? And, but when he's talking and he think, he's thinking differently, he does this with his, with his doesn't he? Have you seen? Look how far he does this. He's deep in thought. But apparently I do that now and again, right? Also... I'm starting to tell a few cheesy jokes like, Phil, what's going on there? Sarah's like, you're telling to your dad, which is not a bad thing, <laughs> right? Also, 10 minutes into a film, a kids could tell you this, I start falling asleep. My dad used to do that. I think most dads do that. Start falling asleep after 10 minutes, like, you know. Another thing me uh, and my brothers do, it's like my dad, is uh, he does this thing, he's sitting there maybe when he's relaxing, and he's watching the TV, say, and, it, and what'll happen? All of a sudden, his arm will just come up in the air like this, right? I know, strange, right? And then it'll just come over and he'll just rest it. And he'll just like sort of mouth open and just relax. And that's Phil, that's Phil's comfort zone. And we all used to think, wow, he's weird. But there was one time me, Steve, and one of our other brothers, Neil, were sitting there, we're all the, just chilling out, watching the TV. And we realized we're all sitting there like this. Look at like, we're, t- we're Phil. We've turned into Phil, now, which is a great thing. Do you know what? I love my dad, and I, I love that I'm turning into Phil, especially his practical things. Love doing stuff like what my dad does, even his odd cheesy jokes. I don't mind them. They're all right. But you know, why is it that I'm turning into my dad? Why is it that the others are similar to the dad? It's because we're the, his sons. Because we're his sons. We've spent time with him, so we're becoming like him. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1 of Colossians. Let me read this statement, because this statement is something that we need to come back to, and we'll come back to part of it uh, throughout the morning. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is your, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are a Christian, you are now alive in Christ. So then, you need to do a few things. He says, you need to start seeking things above. Seek things that last eternally. Get your mind off things of this world Seek heavenly treasures. Seek heavenly glories. Do you know it's not long, wrong to desire things? Often we desire the wrong things. 
God gives us that ability. He wants us to look for heavenly treasures, heavenly glories. And he says, set your minds on Christ. Set your mind on him. And you know, if we are raised with Christ, then we should reflect him. We should become, or at least long to become like him. Like him in our desires, like him in our character, like him in our relationships, like him in our everyday living. We're to truly live and be a people that others should see that we are like him. They should see him through us. And so Paul says a really important thing next. In the next verse, he goes on and says, so if you're going to reflect him, you need to put sin to death. Because that is not who you are anymore. Put sin to death. It's very blunt, very straight. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put sin to death, because that is not who we are now. And these are all obviously, I mean, this list in this verse are obviously sinful character traits, aren't they? And their actions that are incompatible with the character of Jesus. These sorts of things, you look at them and, you, and if you see somebody else doing it, you'll point it out. Oh, that's dodgy, that. Sexual immorality. Seeking after evil things. Coveting others, being jealous of them. These are things where we'd look at others and say, they're horrible character traits. And we wouldn't argue with that. And they're totally incompatible with someone who belongs to Jesus because they're totally incompatible with him. So if we're raised with Christ, we we shouldn't be marked by these things. And I don't know about you, you can't argue with that if you're a follower of Christ because they're so obviously sinful. We may even say they are big sins. You probably say that as a kid. Oh, it's a big sin, that one. But you know, Paul continues to help us now because he's not going to stay on those safest ones that it's easy to point out. He's going to go a little bit deeper. And he shows us that all sin, all sin is to be put off if we are alive in Christ. All sin is to be put to death. Even those sins that we don't feel the weight of. We just brush them aside as little sins. They may cause a few issues, but actually, do you know what? They don't really hurt anybody, don't seem to hurt me. But actually, they're ingrained in our character, and they are just as destructive and devastating when it comes to our relationships, um, in particular our relationship with God. And so Paul says that it's now time to deal with these things and this way of life, and we have to put off the old self and put something new on. So that's our first point this morning. You need to put off the old self. You need to put off the old you. Look at verse 8. It says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You see, the words used here, this picture that we're given, is a picture of taking taking your clothes off. I work for, at the moment for JCIL, right, with Luke. 
And you know what? I come home, filthy hairs everywhere. It's a building company, so you know, covered in dirt, covered in mud, clothes are filthy. I get changed, get a nice shower, get a new one on. Funny thing is, we put the dirty clothes on the next day. They just look as dirty as anything, even before you started your day. It's a strange thing, but most places you want to be clean. You want to put on some new clothes. Where's Michael? Where is he? We've lost it. There he is at the back. Michael, who was singing just a few minutes. He got married a few weeks ago. Lovely. Before that, I've heard he's a bit, he was a bit of a slob. No? <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. He's an immaculate guy. Always immaculate. But imagine he turned up on his wedding day. And he had a shirt on from the night before. He'd had his last curry as a single man. And, you know, he's got dirt on. And he comes down. He's, he's got a crumpled old suit that he's just found in the bottom of his wardrobe. And he walks down and he meets Rachel. I wonder what they, she would be thinking. She'd be shocked. Where's Rachel? Yeah, shocked. She'd be like, what, what's going on? Now, Michael, what did he want to do? He wanted people to see. Actually, no. This is me now. I am changed. I am a husband of Rachel. I am clean. and I want to be the best. I want people to know this is such a special occasion that I am here to celebrate and, and become the wife of Rachel and enjoy that and let everyone to see that is not who I am anymore. This is the new me. I am a husband of Rachel. Well, Paul says, you need to do the same. You need to do the same. If you are risen with Christ, then you need to do the same. You need to pull off the old self and put on a new self. The old character is gone. That's not who you are anymore. This is sinful. It's a dead nature. And do you know what? You are alive. You're not tired. You're not a slave to that anymore. You are alive in Christ. I don't know if you've noticed that list in verses 8 and 9. The list, uh, this list of sins, you might say, seem to be mostly aimed towards other people and they are destructive and they are not in line with the character of the of one who is in relationship with God and his people I mean you may be sitting there this morning and thinking okay how can I deal with these things because actually these things are ingrained in me ingrained in my character they seem to be just who I am and I can't let them go will we go back to verse uh, one to three Remember that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so you need to seek after different things. You need to seek after things which are above. So often when we're seeking after uh, the wrong uh, earthly things, that's when it all goes wrong. You need to set your mind on things above, he says. You need to set your mind on Christ. Do you know what one of the true marks or one of the marks of a true Christian is? When you sin, you run to God and don't run away. You run to him and not away. You run to God because you know the true gospel. You know that in Christ, forgiveness is found. And you come in repentance knowing that his work upon the cross has dealt with your sin in the past, is dealt dealt with the sin that you, you're, you're going through or doing at the moment, and he's de dealt with the sin that's even to come. You run to him, pleading for forgiveness, forgiveness, and know that he, his work on the cross has paid for the wrath of God that you deserve. And for your rejection of him. And then when you come to him, you let the Spirit, his Holy Spirit, do a work in you by set, helping you, setting your mind on things above. 
And so you are now able to take off the old self because you're not a slave to it anymore. That's not me. And you remember that you are safe in Christ, whatever happens. Can I ask you this morning, have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin? Have you? Do you know, you can try and be good. You can try and work your way to God, but that is impossible because he is perfect and he cannot be with someone who isn't. You cannot be good enough for him. You cannot achieve your way to glory. You will not succeed. But you know what? You can know freedom. Freedom of a life that is different to the life that you're living away from God. You can take off your own self if you come to Jesus and know that he died to pay the price that you deserve for rejecting God. For all those things that you have done to reject him. And you know what? Do you know what he says? It says in the Bible that if you do that and you come and make him Lord of your life, then you will be raised with Christ today. Not in the future, today. You will be alive and you will be alive forevermore with him. And you will enjoy him for all eternity. You need to set your mind on things above, set your mind on Christ, and you will find freedom, true freedom in Jesus. And so Paul says, take off your old self if you belong to him. But he doesn't stop there because when you get changed, what you do, you put on something new, just like Michael put on his nice Nice, probably rented outfit. Put on a new self, he says. So secondly, put on the new. Look at verses 10 and 11. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So what, what is this new self that we're to put on? Well, it, Paul says here, we are to be renewed in knowledge. You see, this new self is a new life in Christ. But it isn't an instant Christian maturity. Have you noticed that? I'm sure anybody who's been a Christian for a long time realizes we're not completely changed immediately. We need to be renewed in our minds, and that means we need to be hungry. We need to be hungry for the word of God. We need to let, the sh- let his word shape, uh, shape our thoughts, our desires, and our character. And so we become a new creation found in the image of God. See, to become like Christ, we need to spend time with Christ. Just like I would spend time with Phil, I would become like him. Just natural. To become like Christ, we need to spend time with Christ. And as a new man, as a new woman, you become a new creation, a new new self. And the exciting thing for that, you get to become part of a new family. That's cool, isn't it? So you're not even on your own. And it's unlike any family you've ever seen in this world. Unlike any other community that you see in this world. I don't know if you've noticed that we live in a time where there is w- tensions across the world like never, nothing I've seen in my lifetime. There's, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's, uh, there's local like, tensions going on. Have you ever seen it? Can you remember the UK being the way that it is, so fragile? You see? But not here. 
Paul reminds us that here in the church with God's people, the work of Christ, do you know what it does? It breaks down barriers. It breaks down tensions that separate people in society. He says that there is no room here for racial barriers. There's no room here for social barriers, no room here for cultural snobbery. There's no room here for self within the church. It's not about you. It's not about me. You see, this was actually mind-blowing for those early Christians who heard this. Do you know why? Because it, it lists a few people here. Barbarians, you know, they were seen as inarticulate people and not sophisticated enough to socialize with. I think I might have fitted in nicely with them. You know, not very sophisticated. That's okay. The Scythians, they were the hated people. They were seen as savages or warlike people. You might say today it's the scallywags or the drug dealers. People didn't want to make, you don't mix with them. You see, the thought of Greeks, Jews, Scythians being in fellowship was crazy. To be saying this was crazy. But Christ destroyed these barriers that were built up by men and brings those that are raised with Christ into a new family, a new community that is united in him. And he goes deeper. As he says, slaves, even slaves and their masters, even them, become brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an amazing picture. And you know, it's exactly the same for us. English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh, the UK, we have a better unity in Christ. European, Asian, African, American, black, white, men, women, old, young, rich, poor. doesn't matter. If we're in Christ, we're in Christ. And we all become part of his people. And we all bow the knee together as one people before the throne of the one true God because we have been raised with Christ and we are a new people. Does that excite you? And this is just a picture of what's to come. You see, all barriers are broken down when it comes to church because of the power of God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has broken down these barriers. In our church that we attended in Scotland, we only moved back from Scotland about four months ago. and We were living there for six years and the church that we were a part of is an amazing picture of this because we have people from all over the world. He'd come in, we used to translate uh, into, I think it was about five languages, something like that on a Sunday morning. So you could hear different languages, uh, the sermon being preached, and people like loving it. There was people of all different ages, there was people of all different colors, there was people from all different areas of the world coming together, united in Christ. We had refugees, we had asylum seekers, uh, we had uh, doctors, we had a scientist who worked on the Hydrogen Collider, the most brainy guy you'd ever meet in the world yet united in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Look around you just at the moment. Look at all the different faces. You can look, it's okay. <laughs> you can look, different people. There might be people in this room and you think, I would never mix with them outside of here. Or I'm told not to mix with them outside of here by different groups. But you know what? What are we doing here? We're united in Christ and we come here and we worship him together and we bow our knees together because of what he has done and here Christ is all and in all if we know him so we praise him together no barriers here 
And so the question now then should be, okay, we've taken off our old self. We're part of a community that is different of people who have put off their old selves. What does it actually look like? What is this putting on, okay, in the knowledge of the image of the creator? So we're to put on a new clothing. And our community will be shaped. Individually, we will be shaped. And we'll have a new commitment. A new commitment to each other, a new commitment to God. So finally, we see what it is living out as God's chosen ones. What it is to live out as God's chosen ones. Look at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Do you know the Bible is very clear that we are chosen by him to be his people. Not because we've done anything, so we can't, come, we can't be proud here. Not that we deserve it, we are his chosen one because of what he has done. And this breaks down all pride in us. You see, because he is the one who has done all the saving work and is doing all the changing work in his people. He is the one who will change you. And so we come to this, another list, and there's sort of these character traits. And these are the character, uh, this is sort of the character of God's chosen ones. These are qualities that are based around our relationship and fellowship together. So he says, look, first of all, put on, as God's chosen ones, put on compassionate hearts. Do you know, if you ever looked at Jesus and read in a word to see what, it, what his character is like, if you go home and read Luke, take it a few hours, and when Jesus meets with people, look for the word that keeps coming out. He had compassion on them. He has compassion on them. Compassion on them. And then you get to Luke 19. And Jesus is standing and looking over Jerusalem. And do you know what he's doing? He is weeping. Why is he weeping? Because they have rejected him. Because they are lost. You see, do you want to know what the heart of Christ is? is he is broken for people who are lost from him. He has compassion on them and he has so much compassion that he goes to the cross to die for them. Do you want the heart of compassion? Do you know what the heart of compassion for us is? How do we look at the people who live around here? Who are sitting in their homes having their lunch now and actually they could meet their maker and be sent to hell for all eternity. How does that make us feel? Will we weep over that with Jesus? We need Christ to shape our hearts and give us a heart of compassion for the lost people of this world and a heart of compassion for each other to keep walking with him. Have compassionate hearts as God's chosen ones. Next, put on kindness as God's chosen ones. So kindness is like a longing, isn't it? A longing for your neighbor's good as much as your own. Well, again, Jesus 
In Matthew 11, do you know what he says? This is the sort of same, this is the same wording and meaning. He says, come to me for rest for my yoke is easy. Do you know what a yoke is? It's, uh, if you think, think of an animal, cattle, like a bull or something like that, and they have these big, massive, sort of leather heavy things around the neck to pull the plow in the field, yeah? And it's hard work, sweating, and it's difficult. Well, Jesus says, if your life feels like that, then I can walk with you. I won't take a yoke, but my yoke's easier. You walk through, we've heard this over the last few weeks, you walk through life's difficulties. It's well better for me to walk them with you. It's much easier for me to walk them with you. You see, this kindness is a deep caring for one another. And Paul says that what we need for each other is to love each other like Jesus. Are you willing to walk with people and encourage people, show them true kindness? Then he says, put on humility, meekness, and patience. Meekness or gentleness means that you won't manipulate or dominate another person. Patience means you will not not be short-tempered or impatient uh, or be filled with resentment towards someone. And then you've got both meekness and patience. And what are they marked by? Humility. A willingness to be less of self for the sake of others. And again, we look to the Lord Jesus. We look to the Lord Jesus, who is Lord over everything. Remember Paul says that in the first couple of chapters? He he is, uh, has authority over everything and everyone, and yet he doesn't lord it over us. What does he do? He humbles himself. He humbles himself to the point of dying on a cross for us. He never loses patience with his disciples. Have you noticed that? He never gets frustrated with them. He shows them kindness, patience, meekness, gentleness. So much so that he'll die for them. And that's the sort of love, that's the sort of humility and meekness and patience that we need to put on for one another to be like Christ. Do you know a good measure of our character is to see how we treat others and to see the truth of our relationships. And again, if we are raised with Christ, we must set our minds on him. It's all about Jesus. And we're to become like him. And as we do these things, we put on these character traits, this will shape us as a community of God's chosen ones. Will shape us as a church family. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are to be a forgiving people. And we must become more generous with our forgiveness because, why? Jesus has forgiven us. Charles Spurgeon, I think, uh, I think Paul loves to quote Charles Spurgeon. I've noticed that over the last couple of weeks. Charles Spurgeon was an old guy from years ago, a theologian, uh, an amazing preacher. And he said this about forgiveness. He says, suppose someone had grievously offended any one of you and that he asked your forgiveness. Do you think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but I cannot forget. Have some of us said that, thought that? We've all heard that, yeah? 
I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. He says, ah, dear friends, this sort of forgiveness is one is a forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It's a lame forgiveness, and it's not worth much. Do you know when we come to Jesus and find forgiveness? Does he say to us, uh, oh, wait, we'll have a little probationary period. We'll see how you get on. See if you do a little bit better. See if you can change first, and then when you're good enough. No, he doesn't do that. When we are forgiven, we are forgiven immediately and in full. Sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future. And, godly, and God at that point, at that point, completely restores us to himself. And then he goes on and gives us the place of honor. As we become sons of God, we become sons of God. When God looks on you, he sees you as Christ. That is mind-blowing. And then he raises us with him and we enjoy all the blessings. We become heirs and co-heirs with him. We are seen as Christ, as God's sons. Does that not thrill your heart? Yeah, I'm sure you're smiling behind your masks. Absolutely. You are seen as Jesus. And you enjoy that forgiveness. It's all been taken away. And yet, we will turn around and say, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. That is not true forgiveness. Listen, I know this is a difficult one. But from our side, we can love people and show forgiveness that Christ has shown us. But it's hard, so we need God to help us. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts and give us the heart of Christ for one another. So we have true, lasting unity. And we're to be a people that are marked by love, Paul says. A selfless and forgiving love like Christ. You see, love is the glue that holds all these characteristics together. You see, without true Christ-like love for each other, then our relationships will become distorted. We see this all over society, don't we? Families broken, confusion, racial tension, elitism. We see it all over the place when we reject God's love. Without Christ-like love, we have pride and self-glorification. It becomes all about me. And we've seen before, there's no room for that within, our ch within the church. Without Christ's like love, true forgiveness and unity is impossible. Is impossible. You see, to be a community of God's people, we're to put on a Christ-like love of humility and forgiveness that unites us together, unlike any other community is able to do. We should be so radically different to everyone else. And so Paul finally comes uh, sort of to the last few verses of this passage. And he, and he marks out three things for us as he shows us the priority of God's chosen ones. There's actually more things in here. Read it, look at it. But I'm going to pull out three things. So look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. Three quick priorities, okay? Number one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, the heart of a Christian life and community is not hostile, but one of love, compassion, forgiveness. So let peace rule among us. Can I ask you, is there a relationship within your life, within this community that you need to restore or that needs restoring? You need to ask the Lord to give you the heart of Christ and seek after peace because we're called to do that. Is the relationship that you need restoring with God? Do you know what? Today, why don't you seek after Christ? Seek after Christ and know of your sins forgiven and the peace that is only found in him. Do you know the mark of a true Christian? is someone that runs to Christ. Number two, let, your, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Walk with him daily. Open up his word daily. Do you know to dwell means to sit under, uh, sit under. And so we're to sit under the word of God, sit under his truth, and actually enjoy all the riches of it. Enjoy it. Enjoy listening to him. Enjoy being in relationship with him. Enjoy being in community with him. And we're to do that individually and as a church. And that is why at Cornerstone, the Bible is at the center. The center of all that is done. And it must be at the center. Because when we do this, it brings unity and it shapes us into a people. A people who are chosen. And we start to be the people who are meant to be. And start to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. And do you know what it does when you spend time with him? Do you know what it stirs up in your heart? A little word called worship. Worship. So we start to worship him as our Lord and Savior, as his redeemed people who are alive and are raised with Christ. And he says, so you need to do everything. Finally, the third one. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you know, this is a boss little verse. It's great. This verse, why? Because it gives us meaning to our life. Doesn't it? Look at it, verse 17. You, you want to know what the will of God is for your life? We all ask that question, don't we? What's the will of God for my life? And you search and you is it that job? Is this? this is the will of God for your life. Ready? Verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Whatever you do, do it for him. Live all of your life, every area of your life for Christ. You see, the new, as a new self we put on in Christ, it should seek to do all things that bring glory to the name of Jesus alone. All things. So when we worship in song together, when we meet as a community in our GCs and we just spend time together and enjoy being outside together at the moment or in people's homes under their hospitality, what do we do? We worship him. You can worship him when you wash the dishes. Enjoy him when you're washing the dishes. Enjoy the fact that you've got a home to live in. Worship him for that. Worship him when you're cutting the grass. Worship him when you're making something. 
you have a greater creator who you can enjoy. Worshiping when you're with your friends. Worshiping when you spend time with your family. Worshiping when you go to school. That you get to go and have an education and he allows you to do that and teaches and gives you the ability to learn. Worshiping when you're doing your job. Worshiping when you, the jobs that you're doing today. Worshiping when you're sitting in your house. Worshiping when you go for a walk. Enjoy him, enjoy his creation. And enjoy that you are in Christ. And we worship him when we come together as his people. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the will of God for you and me, individually and as a community. And we do it with thankful hearts. So put on Christ every day. Be committed to him. Be committed to his people. Why? For his glory. That's all we're called to do. And he will help us because we belong to him and we will always be his, his chosen people. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, Lord, we are not dead in our sin anymore. Father, we praise you that we are free we are not a bondage, that is not a bondage to us, but we are free in Christ. We are now alive in Christ. Father, we praise you because we have an eternity that is sure. And Father, thank you that we are alive today. So Father, help us to put off that old self. Remember that, we, that, that is not us now, but we praise you that we are sons of God. Thank you that you look at us and you see Christ. So Father, we praise you for Christ. And Lord, we pray that in all things that we do, help us to bring glory to his name. Father, help us to see that we're created beings to enjoy you and to give glory to you and to your son alone. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit stir our hearts as we spend time in your word together and as individually. Lord, may that stir us up to let the world see that we are united in Christ. And as they look upon us and see how we love each other, they will know that we are your disciples. Oh, Father, may they long to know freedom that is found in Christ. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I ask and pray that you, by your Spirit, through the work of your Son, save them today. Please, Lord, bring them into your kingdom. And Father, I ask that you would bless us as we go this week. Help us to live as a people who reflect the Lord Jesus and again bring glory to his name and his name alone. We pray all these things in his precious name.